and often a wonder to themselves. But however divided God's family may be at present in dwelling place and local habitation, it is still one family. Both parts of it are still one in character, one in possessions, and one in relation to God. The part in heaven has not so much superiority over the part on earth as at first sight may appear. The difference between the two is only one of degree. A. Both parts of the family love the same Savior and delight in the same perfect will of God. But the part on earth loves with much imperfection and infirmity and lives by faith, not by sight. The part in heaven loves without weakness or doubt or distraction. It walks by sight and not by faith and sees what it once believed. B. Both parts of the family are saints. But the saints on earth are often poor weary pilgrims who find the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit lusting against the flesh so that they cannot do the things they would. Galatians 5.17 They live in the midst of an evil world and are often sick of themselves and of the sin they see around them. The saints in heaven, on the contrary, are delivered from the world, the flesh and the devil, and enjoy a glorious liberty. They are called the spirits of just men made perfect. Hebrews 12.23 See, both parts of the family are alike God's children. But the children in heaven have learned all their lessons, have finished their appointed tasks, have begun an eternal holiday. The children on earth are still at school. They are daily learning wisdom, though slowly and with much trouble, and often needing to be reminded of their past lessons by chastisement and the wrong. Their holidays are yet to come. D. Both parts of the family are alike God's soldiers. But the soldiers on earth are yet militant. Their warfare is not accomplished. Their fight is not over. They need every day to put on the whole armor of God. The soldiers in heaven are all triumphant. No enemy can hurt them now. No fiery dart can reach them. Helmet and shield may both be laid aside. They may at last say to the sword of the Spirit, Rest and be still. They may at length sit down and need not to watch and stand on their guard. 2. Last but not least, both parts of the family are alike, safe and secure. Wonderful as this may sound, it is true. Christ cares as much for his members on earth as his members in heaven. You might as well think to pluck the stars out of heaven as to pluck one saint, however feeble, out of Christ's hands. Both parts of the family are alike secured by an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure. Second Samuel 23.5 The members on earth through the burden of the flesh and the dimness of their faith, may neither see nor know nor feel their own safety. But they are safe, though they may not see it. 
The whole family is kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. 1 Peter 1, 5 The members yet on the road are as secure as the members who have got home. Not one shall be found missing at the last day. The words of the Christian poet shall be found strictly true. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. Before I leave this part of my subject, I ask every reader of this paper to understand thoroughly the present position of God's family and to form a just estimate of it. Learn not to measure its numbers or its privileges by what you see with your eyes. You see only a small body of believers in this present time. But you must not forget that a great company has got safe to heaven already and that when all are assembled at the last day, there will be a multitude which no man can number. Revelation 7, verse 9 You only see that part of the family which is struggling on earth. You must never forget that the greater part of the family has got home and is resting in heaven. You see the militant part, but not the triumphant. You see the part that is carrying the cross, but not the part which is safe in paradise. The family of God is far more rich and glorious than you suppose. Believe me, it is no small thing to belong to the whole family in heaven and earth. 3. I will now pass on to the last thing which I promised to consider. What are the future prospects of the whole family in heaven and earth? The future prospects of a family. What a vast amount of uncertainty these words open up when we look at any family now in the world. How little we can tell of the things coming on any of us. What a mercy that we do not know the sorrows and trials and separations through which our beloved children may have to pass when we have left the world. It is a mercy that we do not know what a day may bring forth, and a far greater mercy that we do not know what may happen in twenty years. Proverbs 27.1 Alas, foreknowledge of any future prospects of our belongings would spoil many a family gathering and fill the whole party with gloom. Think how many a fine boy who is now the delight of his parents will by and by walk in the prodigal's footsteps and never return home. Think how many a fair daughter, the joy of a mother's heart, will follow the bent of her self-will after a few years and insist on some miserably mistaken marriage. Think how disease and pain will often lay low the loveliest of a family circle and make her life a burden and weariness to herself, if not to others. Think of the endless breaches and divisions arising out of money matters. Alas, there is many a lifelong quarrel about a few pounds between those who once played together in the same nursery. Think of these things, the future prospects of many a family which meets together every Christmas are a solemn and serious subject. Hundreds 
to say the least, are gathering together for the last time. When they part, they will never meet again. But thank God, there is one great family whose prospects are very different. It is the family of which I am speaking in this paper and commending to your attention. The future prospects of the family of God are not uncertain. They are good and only good, happy and only happy. Listen to me, and I will try to set them in order before you. A. The members of God's family shall all be brought safe home one day. Here upon earth they may be scattered, tried, tossed with tempests, and bowed down with afflictions, but not one of them shall perish. John 10, verse 28 The weakest lamb shall not be left to perish in the wilderness, The feeblest child shall not be missing when the master role is brought out at the last day. In spite of the world, the flesh and the devil, the whole family shall get home. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Romans 5 verse 10 Be The members of God's family shall all have glorious bodies one day. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes the second time, the dead saints shall all be raised and the living shall all be changed. They shall no longer have a vile mortal body full of weaknesses and infirmities. They shall have a body like that of their risen Lord without the slightest liability to sickness and pain. They shall no longer be clogged and hindered by an aching frame when they want to serve God. They shall be able to serve Him night and day without weariness and to attend upon Him without distraction. The former things will have passed away. That word will be fulfilled. I make all things new. Revelation 21.5 See The members of God's family shall all be gathered into one company one day. It matters nothing where they have lived or where they have died. They may have been separated from one another both by time and space. One may have lived in tents with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and another traveled by railway in our own day. One may have laid his bones in an Australian desert, and another may have been buried in an English churchyard. It makes no difference. All shall be gathered together from north and south and east and west and meet in one happy assembly to part no more. The earthly partings of God's family are only for a few days. Their meeting is for eternity. It matters little where we live. It is a time of scattering now and not of gathering. It matters little where we die. All graves are equally near to paradise. But it does matter much whether we belong to God's family. If we do, we are sure to meet again at last. D. The members of God's family shall all be united in mind and judgment one day. They are not so now about many little things. 
about the things needful to salvation, there is a marvelous unity among them, about many speculative points in religion, about forms of worship and church government. They often sadly disagree. But there shall be no disagreement among them one day. Ephraim shall no longer vex Judah, nor Judah Ephraim. Churchmen shall no more quarrel with dissenters, nor dissenters with churchmen. Partial knowledge and division shall be at an end forever. Divisions and separations, misunderstandings and misconstructions shall be buried and forgotten. As there shall only be one language, so there shall only be one opinion. At last, after six thousand years of strife and jangling, perfect unity and harmony shall be found. A family shall at length be shown to angels and men in which all are of one mind. E. The members of God's family shall all be perfected in holiness one day. They are not literally perfect now, although complete in Christ. Colossians 2.10 Though born again and renewed after the image of Christ, they offend and fall short in many things. James 3.2 None know it better than they do themselves. It is their grief and sorrow that they do not love God more heartily and serve Him more faithfully. But they shall be completely freed from all corruption one day. They shall rise again at Christ's second appearing without any of the infirmities which cleave to them in their lives. Not a single evil temper or corrupt inclination shall be found in them. They shall be presented by their head to the Father without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, perfectly holy and without blemish, fair as the moon and clear as the sun. Ephesians 5.27, Canticles 5.10 Grace, even now, is a beautiful thing when it lives and shines and flourishes in the midst of imperfection. But how much more beautiful will grace appear when it is seen pure, unmixed, unmingled, and alone. And it shall be seen so when Christ comes to be glorified in his saints at the last day. F. Last but not least, the members of God's family shall all be eternally provided for one day. When the affairs of this sinful world are finally wound up and settled, there shall be an everlasting portion for all the sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty. Not even the weakest of them shall be overlooked and forgotten. There shall be something for everyone according to his measure. The smallest vessel of grace, as well as the greatest, shall be filled to the brim with glory. The precise nature of that glory and reward it would be folly to pretend to describe. It is a thing which eye hath not seen, nor mind of man conceived. Enough for us to know that each member of God's family, when he awakes up after his master's likeness, shall be satisfied. Psalm 17.15 Enough, above all, to know that their joy and glory and reward shall be forever.
what they receive in the day of the Lord they will never lose. The inheritance reserved for them when they come of age is incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. 1 Peter 1, 4 These prospects of God's family are great realities. They are not vague, shadowy talk of man's invention. They are real, true things and will be seen as such before long. They deserve your serious consideration. Examine them well. Look round the families of earth with which you are acquainted, the richest, the greatest, the noblest, the happiest. Where will you find one among them all which can show prospects to compare with those of which you have just heard? The earthly riches in many a case will be gone in a hundred years hence. The noble blood in many a case will not prevent some disgraceful deed staining the family name. The happiness in many a case will be found hollow and seeming. Few indeed are the homes which have not a secret sorrow or a skeleton in the closet. Whether for present possessions or future prospects, There is no family so well off as the whole family in heaven and earth. Whether you look at what they have now or will have hereafter, there is no family like the family of God. My task is done. My paper is drawing to a close. It only remains to close it with a few words of practical application. Give me your attention for the last time. May God bless what I am going to say to the good of your soul. One, I ask you a plain question. Take it with you to every family gathering which you join at any season of the year. Take it with you and amidst all your happiness make time for thinking about it. It is a simple question but a solemn one. Do you yet belong to the family of God? To the family of God, remember, this is the point of my question. It is no answer to say that you are a Protestant or a churchman or a dissenter. I want to hear of something more and better than that. I want you to have some soul-satisfying and soul-saving religion, a religion that will give you peace while you live and hope when you die. To have such peace and hope, you must be something more than a Protestant or a churchman or a dissenter. You must belong to the family of God. Thousands around you do not belong to it. I can well believe. But that is no reason why you should not. If you do not belong to God's family... I invite you this day to join it without delay. Open your eyes to see the value of your soul, the sinfulness of sin, the holiness of God, the danger of your present condition, the absolute necessity of a mighty change. Open your eyes to see these things and repent this very day. Open your eyes to see the great head of God's family even Christ Jesus, waiting to save your soul. See how he has loved you, 
lived for you, died for you, risen again for you, and obtained complete redemption for you. See how he offers you free, full, immediate pardon, if you will believe in him? Open your eyes to see these things. Seek Christ at once. Come and believe on him and commit your soul to his keeping this very day. I know nothing of your family or past history. I know not where you go to spend your leisure weeks or what company you are going to be in. But I am bold to say that if you join the family of God, you will find it the best and happiest family in the world. Two, if you really belong to the whole family in heaven and earth, count up your privileges and learn to be more thankful. Think what a mercy it is to have something which the world can neither give nor take away, something which makes you independent of sickness or poverty, something which is your own forevermore. The old family fireside will soon be cold and tenantless. The old family gatherings will soon be past and gone forever. The loving faces we now delight to gaze on are rapidly leaving us. The cheerful voices which now welcome us will soon be silent in the grave. But thank God, if we belong to Christ's family, there is a better gathering yet to come. Let us often think of it and be thankful. The family gathering of all God's people will make amends for all that their religion now costs them. A meeting where none are missing. A meeting where there are no gaps and empty places. A meeting where there are no tears. A meeting where there is no parting. Such a meeting as this is worth a fight and a struggle. And such a meeting is yet to come to the whole family in heaven and earth. In the meantime, let us strive to live worthy of the family to which we belong. Let us labor to do nothing that may cause our Father's house to be spoken against. Let us endeavor to make our Master's name beautiful by our temperate conduct and conversation. Let us love as brethren and abhor all quarrels. Let us behave as if the honor of the family depended on our behavior. So living by the grace of God, we shall make our calling and election sure, both to ourselves and others. So living, we may hope to have an abundant entrance and to enter harbor in full sail whenever we change earth for heaven. Second Peter 1 verse 11 So living, we shall recommend our Father's family to others, and perhaps by God's blessing, incline them to say, we will go with you. Chapter 17 Our Home Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Psalm 90, verse 1 There are two reasons why the text which heads this paper should ring in our hearts with special power. It is the first verse of a deeply solemn psalm, the first bar of a wondrous 
piece of spiritual music. How others feel when they read the 90th Psalm, I cannot tell. It always makes me lean back in my chair and think. For one thing, this 90th Psalm is the only psalm composed by Moses, the man of God. While stated in the footnote, I am quite aware that I have no direct authority for this statement except the prefactory heading at the beginning of the psalm. However ancient those headings may be, it is agreed among learned men that they were not given by inspiration and must not be regarded as a part of God's word. There is, nevertheless, a curious amount of agreement among critics that in the case of this 90th psalm, the tradition about its authorship is not without foundation. It expresses that holy man's feelings as he saw the whole generation whom he had led forth from Egypt dying in the wilderness. Year after year he saw that fearful judgment fulfilling which Israel brought on itself by unbelief. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, Doubtless ye shall not come into the land. Numbers 14, verse 20 One after another he saw the heads of the families whom he had led forth from Egypt, laying their bones in the desert. For forty long years he saw the strong, the swift, the wise, the tender, the beautiful, who had crossed the Red Sea with him in triumph, cut down and withering like grass. For forty years he saw his companions continually changing, consuming and passing away. Who can wonder that he should say, Lord, thou art our dwelling place. We are all pilgrims and strangers upon earth, and there is none abiding. Lord, thou art our home. For another thing, the 90th Psalm forms part of the burial service of the Church of England. Whatever fault men may find with the prayer book, I think no one can deny the singular beauty of the burial service. Beautiful are the texts which it puts into the minister's mouth as he meets the coffin at the churchyard gate and leads the mourners into God's house. Beautiful is the chapter from the first epistle to the Corinthians, about the resurrection of the body. Beautiful are the sentences and prayers appointed to be read as the body is laid in its long home. But specially beautiful to my mind are the psalms which are selected for reading when the mourners have just taken their places in the church. I know nothing which sounds so soothing, solemnizing, heart-touching and moving to man's spirit at that trying moment as the wondrous utterance of the old inspired lawgiver, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place. Lord, Thou art our home. I want to draw from these words two thoughts that may do the readers of this paper some good. An English home is famous all over the world for its happiness and comfort. It is a little bit of heaven left upon earth. 
but even an English home is not forever. The family nest is sure to be taken down and its inmates are sure to be scattered. Bear with me for a few short minutes while I try to set before you the best, truest and happiest home. One, the first thought that I will offer you is this. I will show you what the world is. It is a beautiful world in many respects, I freely admit. Its seas and rivers, its sunrises and sunsets, its mountains and valleys, its harvests and its forests, its fruits and its flowers, its days and its nights, all, all are beautiful in their way. Cold and unfeeling must that heart be which never finds a day in the year when it can admire anything in nature. But beautiful as the world is, there are many things in it to remind us that it is not home. It is an inn, a tent, a tabernacle, a lodging, a training school. But it is not home. A. It is a changing world. All around us is continually moving, altering, and passing away. Families, properties, landlords, tenants, farmers, laborers, tradesmen, all are continually on the move. To find the same name in the same dwelling for three generations running is so uncommon that it is the exception and not the rule. A world so full of change cannot be called home. B. It is a trying and disappointing world. Who ever lives to be fifty years old and does not find to his cost that it is so? Trials in married life and trials in single life. Trials in children and trials in brothers and sisters. Trials in money matters and trials in health. How many there are. Their name is Legion, and not the tenth part of them perhaps ever comes to light. Few indeed are the families which have not a skeleton in the closet. A world so full of trial and disappointment cannot be called home. See, it is a dying world. Death is continually about us and near us and meets us at every turn. Few are the family gatherings when Christmas comes round in which there are not some empty chairs and vacant places. Few are the men and women past thirty who could not number a long list of names deeply cut forever in their hearts, but names of beloved ones now dead and gone. Where are our fathers and mothers? Where are our ministers and teachers? Where are our brothers and sisters? Where are our husbands and wives? Where are our neighbors and friends? Where are the old gray-headed worshippers whose reverent faces we remember so well when we first went to God's house? Where are the boys and girls we played with when we went to school? How many must reply, dead, dead, dead. The daisies are growing over their graves and we are left alone. Surely a world so full of death can never be called a home. 
the it is a scattering and dividing world. Families are continually breaking up and going in different directions. How rarely do the members of a family ever meet together again after the surviving parent is laid in the grave? The band of union seems snapped and nothing wells it again. The cement seems withdrawn from the parts of the building and the whole principle of cohesion is lost. How often some miserable squabble about trinkets or some wretched wrangle about money makes a breach that is never healed and, like a crack in China, though riveted, can never be quite cured. Rarely indeed do those who played in the same nursery lie down at length in the same churchyard or keep peace with one another till they die. A world so full of division can never be home. These are ancient things. It is useless to be surprised at them. They are the bitter fruit of sin and the sorrowful consequence of the fall. Change, trial, death, and division all entered into the world when Adam and Eve transgressed. We must not murmur. We must not fret. We must not complain. We must accept the situation in which we find ourselves. We must each do our best to lighten the sorrows and increase the comforts of our position. We must steadily resolve to make the best of everybody and everything around us. But we must never, never, never forget that the world is not home. Are you young? Does all around and before you seem bright and cheerful and happy? Do you secretly think in your own mind that I take too gloomy a view of the world? Take care. You will not say so by and by. Be wise betimes. Learn to moderate your expectations. Depend on it. The less you expect from people and things here below, the happier you will be. Are you prosperous in the world? Have death and sickness and disappointment and poverty and family troubles passed over your door up to this time and not come in? Are you secretly saying to yourself, Nothing can hurt me much. I shall die quietly in my bed and see no sorrow. Take care. You are not yet in harbor. A sudden storm of unexpected trouble may make you change your note. Set not your affection on things below. Hold them with a very loose hand and be ready to surrender them at a moment's notice. Use your prosperity well while you have it, but lean not all your weight on it, lest it break suddenly and pierce your hand. Have you a happy home? Are you going to spend Christmas round a family heart where sickness and death and poverty... And partings and quarrelings have never yet been seen. Be thankful for it. Oh, be thankful for it. A really happy Christian home is the nearest approach to heaven on earth. But take care, this state of things will not last forever. It must have an end. And if you are wise, you will never forget that. The time is short. It remaineth 
that both they that have wives be as though they have none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31 2. The second thought that I will offer you is this. I will show you what Christ is, even in this life, to true Christians. Heaven, beyond doubt, is the final home in which a true Christian will dwell at last. Towards that he is daily traveling, nearer to that he is daily coming. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Second Corinthians 5 verse 1 Body and soul united once more, renewed, beautified, and perfected, we live forever in the Father's great house in heaven. To that home we have not yet come. We are not yet in heaven. But is there, meanwhile, no home for our souls? Is there no spiritual dwelling place to which we may continually repair in this desolate world and repairing to it find rest and peace? Thank God there is no difficulty in finding an answer to that question. There is a home provided for all laboring and heavy laden souls and that home is Christ. To know Christ by faith to live the life of faith in Him, to abide in Him daily by faith, to flee to Him in every storm of conscience, to use Him as our refuge in every day of trouble, to employ Him as our priest, confessor, absolver, and spiritual director every morning and evening in our lives. This is to be at home spiritually even before we die to all sinners of mankind who by faith use Christ in this fashion. Christ is in the highest sense a dwelling place. They can say with truth, we are pilgrims and strangers on earth and yet we have a home. Of all the emblems and figures under which Christ is set before man, I know few more cheering and comforting than the one before us. Home is one of the sweetest, tenderest words in the English language. Home is the place with which our pleasantest thoughts are closely bound up. All that the best and happiest home is to its inmates, that Christ is to the soul that believes on Him. In the midst of a dying, changing, disappointing world, a true Christian has always something which no power on earth can take away. Morning, noon, and night, he has near him a living refuge, a living home for his soul. You may rob him of life and liberty and money. You may take from him health and lands and house and friends. But do what you will, you cannot rob him of his home. Like those humblest of God's creatures which carry their shells on their backs wherever they are, 
So the Christian, wherever he goes, carries his own. No wonder that holy Baxter sings, What if in prison I must dwell, may I not then converse with thee? Save me from sin, thy wrath and hell. Call me thy child, and I am free. A. No home like Christ. In Him there is room for all and room for all sorts. None are unwelcome guests and visitors, and none are refused admission. The door is always on the latch and never bolted. The best robe, the fatted calf, the ring, the shoes are always ready for all comers. What? Though in time past you have been the vilest of the vile, a servant of sin, an enemy of all righteousness, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Sadducee of Sadducees, a publican of publicans, it matters nothing. There is yet hope. All may be pardoned, forgiven and forgotten. There is a home and refuge where your soul may be admitted this very day. That home is Christ. Come unto me, he cries. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 7, verse 7. Be no home like Christ. In him there is boundless and unwearied mercy for all, even after admission. None are rejected and cast forth again after probation because they are too weak and bad to stay. Oh no, whom he receives, them he always keeps. Where he begins, there he makes a good end. Whom he admits, them he at once fully justifies. Whom he justifies, them he also sanctifies. Whom he sanctifies, them he also glorifies. No hopeless characters are ever sent away from his house. No men or women are ever found too bad to heal and renew. Nothing is too hard for him to do who made the world out of nothing. He who is himself the home hath said it and will stand to it. Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. John 6, verse 37. See, no home like Christ. In Him there is unvarying kindness, patience, and gentle dealing for all. He is not an austere man, but meek and lowly in heart. Matthew eleven twenty nine. None who apply to Him are ever treated roughly or made to feel that their company is not welcome. A feast of fat things is always provided for them. The Holy Spirit is placed in their hearts and dwells in them as in a temple. Leading, guiding, and instruction are daily provided for them. If they err, they are brought back into the right way. If they fall, they are raised again. If they transgress willfully, they are chastised to make them better. But the rule of the whole house is love. They no home like Christ. In Him there is no change. From youth to age He loves all who come to Him and is never tired of doing them good.
earthly homes, alas, are full of fickleness and uncertainty. Favor is deceitful. Courtesy and civility are often on men's lips while inwardly they are weary of your company and wish you were gone. You seldom know how long your presence is welcome or to what extent your friends really care to see you. But it is not so with Christ. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13.8 He, no home like Christ, communion once begun with Him shall never be broken off. Once joined to the Lord by faith, you are joined to Him for an endless eternity. Earthly homes always come to an end sooner or later. The dear old furniture is sold and dispersed. The dear old heads of the family are gathered to their fathers. The dear old nest is pulled to pieces. But it is not so with Christ. Faith will at length be swallowed up in sight. Hope shall at last be changed into certainty. We shall see one day with our eyes and no longer need to believe. We shall be moved from the Lord chamber to the upper and from the outer court to the Holy of Holies. But once in Christ, we shall never be out of Christ. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they 
To admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.